reading is uh, from Luke 9, 18 to 27, uh, and it's on page 3732 in the Bible, in your Bibles. Okay. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Great. It's lovely to be back. It's strange to be back. Uh, yes, three years now. At the end of February we moved, so uh, it's really nice. Good to see you all. And you on Zoom too. I don't know where the camera is, but hey, great. <laughs> uh, there's another scripture on my mind which came to Chris and I at the beginning of this year, and I don't think I'm the only one either. I'm going to read it. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. So we've had this on our hearts for some while. And... um, I know also that you've been doing Restore, and you've been going through Luke's Gospel, looking at who is Jesus, I believe, as a primary kind of focus. And so what I've done is I've looked back what you might have been reading during the last week or so. Um, So I thought, yes, it's it's, who is this? So I look back through the passage you've read in the last couple of weeks, where it crops up, who is this, or who is this man? And it comes up a lot. I did put them all on slides, but I thought it's going to be so boring running through that lot. So I'm going to just praise them quickly, if I may. So in chapter 7, it says, the, the picture, lovely picture, by the way, great. Um, Jesus said to this woman, who was labeled as a sinner by everybody, your sins are forgiven. But the other guests said, who is this who even forgives sins? And then in chapter 8, there's a storm on the lake. I expect you've all read it. The disciples were in grave danger. It was scary. They were afraid. And Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and they became calm. And they said, who is this? 
He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And still in chapter 8, we hear about the demoniac who was set free. And we're told that the people witnessed what had happened, and they were overcome with fear. And they asked Jesus to leave. And although it's not recorded in scripture what they actually said, I think it's fair to say they must have been thinking, who is this? And later in chapter 8, we have a similar thing with the raising of Jairus' daughter. When Jesus arrived, the people were wailing over her death and mourning. And they laughed at Jesus in mockery when he suggested she was not dead. And he raised her from the dead. It says the parents were astonished. And from the passage, what shouts to us is, who is this? And then in chapter 9, you read about Herod. He was perplexed, hearing news of Jesus and suggestions that somehow he might have been a prophet raised from the dead or John Baptist raised from the dead. And he asked, who then is this that I hear such things about? Many characters, some indignant at Jesus' claims, some scared, some staggered, some mocking. I wonder how these people were impacted. And then we get to our reading today, which Chris read earlier. But what about you, Jesus said? Who do you say I am? We saw some on the Alpha clip, didn't we? They really didn't know. (laughs) But if you were to look at a person, the person who read that just now, and ask, who is this? I could tell you, that's Chris. She's my wife. But who is she really? Do you know? Do you know her? I know her, hopefully, better than everyone here. (laughs) And I could tell you a few things. And they're wonderful. (laughs) I hasten to add, she's amazing. But that's because I know her. And my prayer is not that we try and work out who is Jesus, but we can answer that because we know him. But I also wonder that if we're to know Jesus and know God in a real way, that can't happen unless we let him know us. Then it goes beyond thinking and becomes relational. I was reading of a person this week um, who'd written a paper on the subject, Why I'm Afraid to Tell You Who I Am. Someone was speaking to him about this, answered, I'm afraid to tell you who I am, because if I tell you who I am, you may not like who I am, and it's all that I have. So I need to ask the question, does Jesus know you? The real you, I mean. Not just the person that you project to other people. Does that thought scare you? It means coming into the open, doesn't it? Facing who you really are. Maybe your fears, your shame, your past, who you are now, the things that bother you. But what if doing that and entering into that kind of relational who are you, we discover that he actually cares for you? (laughs) He's not going to condemn you? Is that your fear? So much so. That if you heard him say, perhaps whisper in your ear, I know, I know, I know, and you're forgiven. I've made it okay. Oh, the joy of it. The wonder of it. When we moved to Worcester, I was asked what I would do with my time, by some friends and my own sons and that kind of thing. And I remember one occasion trying to answer that. I said, they said, well, why don't you take a bit of art or you know, play more golf or something like that? And um, I said... But for now, I'm enjoying doing DIY. And as I said it, something in the air kind of thought rather uncomfortable about that. Do it yourself. It's a life strategy, isn't it? Working out how to survive in this world, how to project the person I want you to think I'm like. A subconscious way of finding meaning for my, for my life and acceptance by others. We all do it. It's part of life, isn't it? 
shaped by our experiences, our achievements, our disappointments, all the rest of it. But when I turn to follow Jesus, and I imagine it's the same for you, that's not what I committed to, to it myself. It was the end of that, wasn't it? Do you remember? <laughs> it was no more secrets with God. I turned. It was painful. I turned. No more secrets with God. And no more doing it my way, but choosing to do it his way and follow him and listen to him and give my all to him. But the tragedy is, I don't like not being in control. I find it so easy to slip back to that default position of making my own decisions in my way and wanting God to bless it. My default strategy all my life has been to try and please other people and be nice, avoid conflict, and be nice to God too. And Perhaps you'll like me. But it doesn't bring rest to your soul, does it? When I was typing something about this in a different circumstance, actually, on the computer some months ago, I put in the words, my strategy. And the predictive text wrote, my tragedy. Kind of says it all, doesn't it? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says this. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. As you received, continue. And that's why I'm asking about the ancient path. What are those ways that we perhaps once knew? So for Chris and I, when we were at university, there was a real move of God one weekend on a Christian Union weekend. It was so amazing that the speaker, Bob Stokes, lovely chap, I don't think he really knew what to do with it. He was speaking on repentance, several sessions, very simple, very ordinary. But what happened was God came, and God came. <laughs> we, we turned, we repented, we, we were struck by who God was. Could hardly move, frankly. Never forgotten it. I never want to forget it. It was about turning from myself, from my sin, from all the stuff that I was ashamed of. All the good stuff too, and saying, God... It's about you, isn't it? There was a precious book at that conference by Basilia Schlink. Yeah? Repentance, the joy-filled life. I bought it at the conference. Isn't it great? <laughs> well, it's worth a read. It's really short. She was an amazing lady. She was a, a sister. And with another sister, they, they realized after some time, working social work type things, that they'd lost their joy. They'd lost they used to sing a song in the early days called, Who is a God like thee, pardoning iniquity? <laughs> That's from Micah. And they realized they weren't singing anymore. And they thought, what's wrong? And they also had fallen out with someone. And they thought, this isn't right. So they went back to God. They went back to the person that they'd fallen out with. And God came. And from then on, they decided, we will have time for repentance every day. That's why it's called repentance, the joy-filled life. You know what? God used them greatly. In this little book, there's actually a, a description of one time, because this was in Germany and it was wartime, when they had a conference and the Allied bombers were bombing the city where they were having this conference. She said, but it didn't compare, the fear didn't compare to the joy we had of knowing Jesus was with us. And that we were right with God. That's amazing. Isn't it? God used them greatly. Recommend it. It's a little book. It's great. You can get it. <laughs> I find it so easy to slide back. I said that just now. And after we'd moved to Worcester, I um, 
I was reminded in my mind and heart that I'd not been honest with someone about something I'd broken that was theirs. And it just affected me. It made me out of rest. And I thought, I've got to do something about it. Talk to Chris about it. And then I wrote to this person and sent them a check. And I told them I was sorry and what I'd done. And she was very gracious. But you have to do these things, don't we? <laughs> At times, when God convicts you, you must act on it. So this is the good way, I believe. Interestingly, I've, I, I see someone occasionally just to, to chat things through, a chap in Worcester, <clears throat> and he was telling me a little while back that when he got married, he thought, great, we've gone through all the hard work, all that kind of going out, working out what we're like, how we're going to live together. Brilliant, brilliant. He got married, he got married. And then he found that things had started to go a bit awry with their relationship. Because he just hadn't appreciated it's the start. <laughs> if you're not married yet, be warned. If you are married, remember. It's the start, isn't it? I mean, Chris and I still have to be honest with each other and work things through, and when we get irritated, talk about it. It's life. And yet somehow we think that when we become a Christian, that's it, I'm all right now. I want to plead with us, actually. It's relationship. <laughs> it's not ticking boxes. I believe this is a holy way, actually. When God calls us to holiness, it means just this. In the New Living Translation, which I often use to read, there's got little bits in the margins, and it, talks, it says this, holiness is a relationship. I thought, really? So I read more about it. And it's true. <laughs> because when God calls something holy, why is it holy? It's because he's manifested there. When Moses went to the burning bush and God said, take off your shoes, your sandals, for this is a holy place. Well, it was holy because God was there. And afterwards, surely the desert just reverted to being a place, sand, stones. God's presence had gone. And that's what I mean by, and that's what I think what the NLT guys were saying, holiness, it's a relationship. We're not holy. I'm not holy. And yet Peter says, be holy, because he is holy. It means we walk with him. His presence is with us. And he's holy. <laughs> Man, it blows your mind. But it's not because I'm trying hard, I make myself holy, I'm checking all the boxes, I'm keeping all the rules, I'm making sure I don't eat too many chocolates before bed, or whatever it is I think is a rule that's going to please God. It's a relationship. When Peter was first called, you remember he was fishing, and when he was called, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. And yet it's Peter who writes in 1 Peter, be holy, I am holy. Something had happened. He was in now a relationship with God.
I was um, listening to a sermon some while back by someone who's a general in the Salvation Army in Canada. You may have heard of her. She's called Danielle Strickland. And um, she was reciting this story. She was at a conference or something, and people were coming for prayer. He said, and there's this one person that she knew of who had uh, baggage, shall we say, had a hard life, lots to deal with. And they just came forward and they just fell on the floor and just lay there. Oh, well, there we go. And this person said, give me a Bible. (laughs) He wasn't a Christian. Give me a Bible. So she said, there you are, have a Bible. And he then went. Some weeks later, I think it was three weeks, he came back and said, I want to see you. Okay, you're welcome. Come on in. He said, I've got it. I've got it. I, I got this Bible. I've got it. I've got it. And she said, what have you got? <laughs> I've been to colleges, all sorts of things. I've been a Christian 20 years. I want to know what you've got. <laughs> he said, he's holy. He's holy. I've read this Bible from start to finish in these weeks. And what I've discovered is he's holy. He's other. He's something else. He's beyond me. He was transformed. Became a new man. So I wonder what this means for us. Our culture, and I I love these hymns we're singing, by the way, songs, brilliant, and the prayers as well. It's getting tough out there, isn't it? The world is a tough place, and it's getting worse, if I can say better or worse. It is. It is getting worse. It's getting worse in the climate, hold the world nature thing. It's getting worse with countries. It's getting worse with communities. Well, you know. And it can be quite discouraging, and we have to know how to handle that, for sure. But I think it's as if, for me anyway, it's like there's a siren yeah, a warning. And when there's a siren, people go into the bunker. I don't think that's the call on the church. We can go into a bunker. We can retreat through fear, through not knowing what's going to happen and afraid how it might affect me or just knowing oh, what to do to help. A bunker mentality. I heard the other day, The fear of evil is greater than the evil itself. Fear can close us down. It can numb us. Um, If you enjoy reading other books, authors, Walter Brueggemann is always a good one. He talks a lot about prophetic imagination. And what he says and what others are saying, what I'm trying to say in a not not a very good way, is we need to be able to imagine that God is greater than all this stuff. He is greater. And what if things get tough in our little world, but God's wanting us to be the ones who bring hope? God's wanting us to be the ones who stand against injustice. He wants the church to be the ones who say, yeah, but this isn't it. This is not the end. That person over there who thinks they rule the world does not rule the world. 
And that person in my community who's threatening people is not the big boss. We need prophetic imagination. And we need to encourage each other in it. I need the encouragement because sometimes I just find it overwhelming. But don't we all? And that's why it's good to gather, isn't it? Why it's good to worship, it's good to talk, it's good to meet in groups and pray and get our heads around this stuff. But what I want to say is, who is he? In all this, who is he? Do you believe that one day there's going to be a different city? It's going to be different. Where there's no crying, no mourning, no tears. And that's out there. But what about the now, when people need to hear that now and have hope? And I think the only way is the way that Jesus talked about. The ancient path, the good way, is to say, save your lives or lose them for God. It's to say, pick up your cross or do it yourself. It's to say, yield to obedience daily or somehow do it your own way and try and get through. These are the ancient paths. I love that scripture in Jeremiah, but it's a whole verse. And I don't know you noticed the last sentence, which I find quite scary. But you said, we will not walk in it. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. When the choice is mine, in the end. God is so good, so loving, so kind, that he won't force you to do anything. Even if it's costing you your life. But we're never going to know how good he is. We don't abandon up and say, oh God, I'm sorry for all I am. But that's not the end of the story, is it? It's who you are that matters. I don't know about you, but in my quiet times in the morning, often I'll get up, go downstairs, get myself a cup of tea. It's still dark this time of year. And, uh, and I'm just feeling numb. And I just think, how do I pray about this? I just tell God about it. Say, oh God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to feel numb. This I remember. You're good. You're good. And it's amazing how quickly things can transform and things can come into your heart if you're just behold him. Take time to behold him. To listen. Chris often says to me when I'm reading stuff and listening to other stuff that we listen to, she says, it's ever so simple, really, isn't it? <laughs> and she's right. It's profoundly difficult, but it's ever so simple. Take up your cross and follow me. Listen. Do what I say. Stop worrying about it. I think that's what I want to say, really. There's um, King George VI in 1939 used a poem when he did his King's Speech on Christmas Day. It's called Standing at the Gate, or the Gate of the Year. 
And I'd like us to read it, say it. Because I don't want us to be frozen by fear. I want us to always encourage each other about who he is. And to learn how to walk with him. To really, really, really do that. So church doesn't, isn't just a religious thing. It's relationship. With God and with each other. And it's costly. Just like it is between husband and wife. At times, it's costly. So, I've said this stuff. I'm not saying it as an expert. I'm saying it because it's in my heart. And I don't think it's easy. But I never, ever want to lose sight of the way we started. When God blew us off our feet who he was and forgave who I was and said, don't worry, I'll walk with you, but just walk with me. We've got to do it every day. What a joy. So, I'd like us to stand up, frankly. Just have a moment, and now I'll read this out. Perhaps I'll say it, and then you can say it with me afterwards. How about that? So this is, imagine I'm King George VI. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just before that. My dad was 18 at the time. This was Christmas 1939. War had broken out. This was not an easy time. So that's why he was so bold. We need to be bold. So he said, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. And he led me towards the hills and the breaking of day in the lone peace. If you put your hand in the hand of God, you've got one other hand to serve people. And you haven't got a hand for yourself. Shall we say it together? If you want to. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth 
and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night, and he led me towards the hills and the breaking of day in the lone east. Can you see that day? Amen.